Warning, the podcast you are about to listen to may have adult language and discuss adult themes not suitable for all listeners. Listener discretion is advised. And now, fall is upon us to talk college football from the highest points in the country, presented by the Far End of the Bench Podcast and the Variety Sports Network, your home for Rocky Mountain Athletic Conference football, featuring Jimmy Pilato and Rev the Problem Coca, season three of Top of the Mountain Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, it's good to hear that sound coming back across this feed. I know it's been a few weeks since we last spoke. It's It's been a whirlwind, I, I will tell you that much. Uh, planning on having the show last week, I ended up having to go out of town. So we're happy we're back. We're happy you're here with us, top of the mountain, looking at week 11 of the RMAC football season. Last week of the regular season. So this is going to be, excuse me, the last time for <clears throat> a while that a lot of the teams that we've been talking about, been watching, because even when we don't have shows, we do still watch our Mac football. It is still a thing. Um, <clears throat> we are about to see that all come to an end. And then we're going to talk a little bit about what some of the playoff structure is going to look like. And since it is a little bit different at the D2 level, we'll try and explain as best we can how that process works and what teams are selected. But Rev, I'm, I'm glad we're back and uh, I'm, I'm, we're going to be better about the show. Now that it's postseason, we have to be consistent. So I will make a, a vow to our listeners, our viewers now, Top of the Mountain Nation. We will be on time. We will have episodes every single week as long as our MAC teams continue to go on in the playoffs, which I've said that the last two seasons and the last two seasons we've been in the finals at least. So we're going to continue on with that, but it's good to be back, Rev. What have you been up to? I know that we had a, a, a long time off. Um, how have things been going? Pretty good. I mean, outside of me, you know, scrambling at the last minute to get tickets to the Western Colorado School of Mines game, in which I know you didn't have a chance to go to, but you know, outside of outside of maybe that bit of a debacle of a game, it's mostly been good. You know, it's definitely a time of the year to step it up here as we have like fair amount of RMAC representation going into the playoffs. And regardless of whatever happened a couple of weeks ago, it's always good to have representation. Yeah, it is. And we're seeing that representation. We're starting to see the RMAC. We talked a little bit about it last season when we brought on uh, one of these uh, uh, sports directors for the conference. It's now becoming more of a national conversation when you're talking about the Rocky Mountain Athletic Conference, especially, I mean, if we bring in other sports, wrestling, you you bring in schools like San Francisco State. Um, they're one of the few conferences that I know of that have added a full women's division to their NCAA wrestling. So all of the RMAC schools have a women's team and a men's college wrestling team so like the the armac is moving that way and and we'll talk about it when we get to uh peeking at what the brackets are possibly going to look like and what teams from where are going to be in these d2 football playoffs the armac has been well represented and that's why it's important we continue to bring this show here presented by the far end of the bench youtube channel uh be sure if you're watching subscribe leave a like a comment if you're listening back on uh audio platform follow the podcast listen to our other great shows that we have on the feed We got a lot of content that comes out um, every single week. So let's get into it. We we always start with players of the week. We have a few to talk about now. So the last time that we spoke, it was Jaden Johansson for offensive player of the week, Ricky Freeman 
from Western Colorado and Malcolm Wesley from Western, Western Colorado as the players of the week. That was back all the way in week five, beginning of October. In week seven, we saw John Matoka after uh, another impressive performance, Hunter O'Connor from Shadron State, and then Jacob Willig from CSU Pueblo for special teams player of the week. Week eight, we looked at Ben Nolan, South Dakota School of Mines, Daniel Bone third from CSU Pueblo, and Blake Dowd from Colorado Mines. Uh, two weeks ago, John Matoko, once again, that was after the beatdown of Colorado or Western Colorado in the snow, 42 to 7. As Rev mentioned, he won his, let's see, one, two, three, fourth of 11 Offensive Player of the Weeks. We should just rename this award to the Max or to the John Matoka Award. It's the John Matoka Offensive Player of the Week from now on. It's not the RMAC Player of the Week. Yeah, you get whatever you want to give him offensive player of the year award, offensive player of the week award. He's definitely earned something. And to watch the way that he played, it was just against us. It was it was a lot more just that mind's office really trying to lull Western to sleep because it would be dump offs and dump offs and short passes and short passes. And the moment you try to anticipate that and play aggressively, he'll throw something over the top when you least expect it. And he's definitely done a good job of just dissecting every our Mac defense he's gotten against this year. And it's, yeah, at this point, he can't be stopped. You know, they're right now, they're on a mission to end up right where they were last year, pick things up where they finished off against Ferris State and to prove that you know, they're ready this time compared to last year's slaughter that they that they underwent once they made it to the national championship. So you can tell they're on a mission now. You know, Matoka firing off on all cylinders trying to make a statement. He still has the opportunity to win five. I don't know the direct st- statistic, but that would put him over 50% on the season. Uh, if he or about 50% on the season. That's about. <laughs> I'm not, that's why I didn't go to Colorado School of Mines. I was never that great at math. It, it just worked <laughs> out for me. Uh, last week, this is what we'll talk about. We'll spend some time going through um, uh, the stats. We have a guy that we're starting off with for Offensive Player of the Week from Week 10. We're very familiar with. He was at Western for, I think, two years of your career and three years of mine since I was a, a year behind you. That's running back Davon Butler out of Thornton, Colorado. Uh, I believe it's Skyview High School, if I'm remembering that correctly. I could probably look it up on the roster. But he takes Offensive Player of the Week honors, 240 rushing yards, which was a career high, 21 attempts. And Western had a victory, 57-3, to over Fort Lewis last weekend. That uh, – He's now a fifth-year running back, Rev. Davon Butler's a fifth-year senior. What are we talking about here? Oh, my goodness. Uh, he also had two receptions for a combined 14 yards. Let's see. Did he get in the end zone? Uh, I'm not seeing it. When we look at – now I'm curious. It doesn't say that he had any touchdowns in that game, but I have to admit if he was running like that, there has to be one or two, right? Yeah, check. Well, I, I saw that there was one just 68 rushing yards. I believe he scored one, but yeah. He had one touchdown. So 21 attempts, 240 yards. He had a net of 240, which means that he wasn't getting tackled behind the line. Averaged 11.4 a carry. Had a 62-yard long, and there was a touchdown sprinkled in there. Breeden Hogan, uh, the other part of that rushing attack. Rev. 440 rushing yards on the ground for Western Colorado last weekend against Fort Lewis. 440. Yeah. 
And that was just that's really just a get right game because literally the game before against Colorado School of Mines, it felt like they were hesitant to even attempt to run against Mines. So after a game like that, they were trying to make a statement where, okay, well, maybe the week before we really shot away from that and didn't want to go to it. Well, this week we're just gonna establish our dominance against a team and show that the week before is a fluke. And yeah, there's literally like the most starch difference that you that maybe you can find in the entire country when you compare Colorado School of Mines to Fort Lewis. But still, you can tell there is a statement trying to be made there that they're not afraid to establish the run, something in which they couldn't really get going the week before. If Davon, so this is Davon's season so far. He currently leads the RMAC in rushing with 832 yards, and he currently leads the conference in rushing yards per game at 83.2. He's on a national level. He's 32nd in the entire country and he's 39th. So 32nd for total rushing yards and 39th for rushing yards per game. This is, I mean, it's not the same level of dominance that we saw from Austin Eckler when we were there. I mean, it's just a different level, but I will tell you from, he's always been explosive. I mean, we could see that from the first few times that he was put on the field, he can make moves and he's good in space. He, he's one of those guys that's almost quicker than he is fast so he can get his way through the the hurdles and get himself up into the open field. But it, he's putting together a very, very good season. Like, it's a historic season since the Austin Eckler era ended in Western Colorado. This is a legit team, and, and they look legit. I love the new black unis. Um, they, they wore them in this beatdown. Uh, Davon, huge performance for Offensive Player of the Week, moving to Defensive Player of the Week. Daniel Bone the third, CSU Pueblo, the redshirt junior, strong safety out of Colorado Springs. Uh, Bone was lights out on defense in the Thunderwolves' 35-28 road win over South Dakota Mines last weekend when he recorded eight tackles, seven solo, three and a half for loss, one and a half sacks, one interception, and a recovered fumble. Uh, biggest plays, one of the biggest plays came on the second to last possession when he sacked the Hard Rockers quarterback, Jaden Johansson, for a 12-yard loss and forced a punt. It was his final sack of the contest, and his Thunderwolves got a big seven-point victory. Rapid City's not the easiest place to play all the time. I know CSU Pueblo's been trending up, especially since we haven't been doing the show. But Daniel Bone, I mean, reading off that stat line, he was basically in on every play. He was tackling. He was tackling people for loss. He was getting sacks on the quarterback. He was getting after it, and the interception, the turnovers – it was huge, huge weekend for him, and, and Daniel Bone rightfully gets Defensive Player of the Week for that one. And yeah, definitely kudos for kudos to him, and also kudos to this Pueblo team in which it was kind of unsure exactly what direction this team was headed at the beginning of the year, one and three. You know, some people were saying, okay, well, they played the toughest teams in the conference at the beginning of the year, just to test where they're at. And then, but there's also another side in which you got to be a little worried and concerned as to like, is it the team that's on the downturn? And they put an end to all that noise and finishing the season out strong. Like, there's definitely some momentum in which they're trying to really prove themselves to be one of those front runner teams in division, not necessarily just the third best. But really, what they show in the second half of the year is a team that's rolling. Yeah, they've really turned it around. I get first-hand updates from uh, my sister who shout out Roxy, my favorite CSU Pueblo currently associated uh, person. She's, she's gotten a lot of, of cool opportunities, Rev. I'm going to disclose them to you off uh, offline, off air. So uh, not as not to jinx it and as not to, you know, t- talk about her business, but it's a pretty cool situation going on with her. And 
CSU Pueblo, we we were talking about it. If they looked up after that weekend, uh, let's see. Uh, I'll get – let's go back to the schedule here. We were giving them praise coming out of the Grand Valley game because you go up to Michigan, you win, lose a game in double overtime by a score of 57-49. But then after that, when you lose to Western Colorado the way you did 30-14, to Colorado Mines comes in and absolutely punks you, beats you worse than the two times they beat you last season. At that point of the season, this thing, we were talking about their game against Shadron State. Is CSU Pueblo just going to close up shop? Like, turtle, go go into their shell. Oh, this year's no good. Boo-hoo. And cry, cry in their helmets. They didn't do that. They've turned themselves around, and they are continuing to, to be top one, two, three in the RMAC. If it wasn't for really, really good seasons from Western Colorado and Colorado School Mines, they'd be – in the running for a share of that conference title. As of now, it's the ore diggers outright, um, no matter what happens this weekend. And yeah, CSU Pueblo, I, I do agree with you. They deserve some some kudos. They deserve a shout out for what they were able to accomplish after a rough t- rough start to the season. Yeah, and even bigger kudos just simply the fact that they're doing it for a whole new coaching staff here. Whereas mine just kind of got accustomed to it, what, three coaches over – or like two, three coaches over the last three seasons. I think it's three over the last four years. Yeah, kind of playing musical chairs there and keeping things up. Pueblo may not have had the same amount of success as that team, but ultimately to still kind of keep their names relevant as a top three unit in the RMAC, going through a whole new coaching staff after getting tested early and having to push through a lot of adversity, that really shows their character and something that they could push through, you know, as they're lifting weights in the off season, just to kind of motivate themselves to get back to that level. Yeah, no, they're on what seems to be a, a right track. I mean, it's tough for that coaching staff. You're coming in replacing John Riston, who's the guy who played for the program then resurrected the program after it was killed for however long and won a national title. So you got a lot to follow. They were the class of this conference and, they're not the class of the conference. They're not on that level. But from what you've seen at the end of the year, you can look up as a CSU Pueblo fan if you're down there in Southern Colorado and be like, this team is trending in the right direction. So uh, they do deserve some kudos. Daniel Bone the third, shout out for your defensive player of the week. And that brings us to special teams, Colorado School Mines. Uh, let's see. Punt returner, Connor Mickelson, redshirt sophomore out of Geneva, Illinois. Mickelson had a career day as a punt returner for Colorado School of Mines, helping the nation's top-ranked team roll to a 77-3 victory over New Mexico Highlands. Damn. On three punt returns, the redshirt sophomore averaged 18 yards per attempt, long of 30. His best return of the day placed the ore diggers in a starting position at the New Mexico Highlands 45-yard line, set up a Mines touchdown on the ensuing drive. Must not have been really great performances in the special teams area this weekend if that's what we're giving out special teams player of the week. No offense, but... You no know, punt returns for a touchdown. Cool, you averaged 18 yards of return. That, that's awesome, and you're setting the team up to score. But uh, we've seen really explosive special teams player of the week performances, and, and this seems a little lackluster in my opinion. Yeah, definitely one where you have to just give it to the best available option there. And, of course, you want to have those averages there. You know, it's definitely good to have someone who can make something after the punt rather than just your – fair catcher so mm-hmm. yeah not to take it away from him but no he's still i mean one. you're one of 11 so far that that have won special teams player of the week connor mickelson um from colorado school of mines so it, it's no slight but it's just i mean if i go back to it i'd have to search back through the the website to find certain weeks but i remember 
Like Malcolm Wesley had a return stat line where he had a punt return or a tick return for a touchdown plus like another 40-yard punt return. That's bigger to me than three punt returns where you average 18 yards. But like you said, best of what was available, and that was what was available to them. So that'll wrap us up for Player of the Week. Now we're going to move – excuse me. We normally do uh, standings towards the end of the show. We're going to get this out of the way early because we're going to save the end of the show for now talking about postseason possibilities and, and the way things look there. We're going to recap, catch us up where everybody is currently in the RMAC. So uh, we'll go from the bottom to the top. We'll save the top three. We, we've already hinted at who it is. If you've been following along for the season, you know who it is. But we start at the bottom. Fort Lewis, uh, unfortunately, as it looks right now, they're going to extend their losing streak to three straight seasons. Uh, again, October 5th of 2019, the last time that the Fort Lewis Skyhawks have won a football competition. 0-8 in the conference, 0-10 on the season. New Mexico Highlands right behind them with a 1-7 record in the RMAC. Adams State with 2-6 record. Shadron at 3-5. So there's your lower quartile of the conference, those four teams. Uh, Rev, I, it's pretty much what we expected. It's what was predicted based off of last uh, the preseason rankings, based off of where these teams ended last year. You can say a couple of them maybe disappointed or, or did a little bit better, but that lower quartile, what are you going to need to see out of those teams, do you think, to to push themselves and, and maybe get into where we see some of these other teams higher up at, with the possibility of a conference championship? Because when you're dead last in the conference, you are so far away from anything resembling competitive or successful. What are you going to need to see out of those teams that we just mentioned? Yeah, so – it's kind of hard to necessarily anticipate much else when you look at, well, Adams. When you just look at Adams State, New Mexico Highlands, just being their identity, just so much turnaround. Like, yeah, they get physically talented JUCO players, but not enough to really deviate you from the Division Two level, and they just don't have enough culture to really build something there at either of those programs. However, they're winning just enough to keep the attention away from the clear last place team here in Fort Lewis here, in which. On the positive side, they gave teams like, you know, they gave Adam State a run for their money. They even gave Black Hill State a little bit of trouble yeah. here and there. Like, they made certain teams sweat. So, on the positive side, they're at least competing here and there in some games. But then on the negative side is that there's still a very definitive gap between them and a team like a Highlands and an Adam State, which you'd rather be competitive with those teams and go win for win here and there. It's very alarming that there's a gap between – those two teams and Fort Lewis, which still seems to be way down here. I think we talk about it almost every week that we have the show, but when we played, it's not like Fort Lewis was a powerhouse, but Fort Lewis was a bitch to play against just because they were always fighting. They were always scrapping. Their defensive scheme was based off of movement and it's a bit, it it pisses you off the block because they're moving. They're never in the place where they line up and they're always going to a different gap. We've talked about it before where like, Fort Lewis used to be a team where you'd go into it and be like, you better have your helmet strapped on and we better be ready to go from the very first whistle because these boys are physical. They don't have a lot to do. Like you guys don't have a lot to do. So they love playing football on Saturdays and they love to go celebrate wins. And they like to try and win when, when teams go and play them. That's not this team. This team right now is coming out in their powder blue and gold uniforms and exemplifying every stereotype that you would throw out every old school football fan that sees those uniforms, kind of like the dolphins teal uniforms and go, that's not a football color. That's a soccer kit. What are you wearing out there? They're just not, not competitive. I mean, competitive to a point, 
it's really sad when we have to talk about 14 point losses as competitive, but that's the, the honest truth. I think if you're going to be a fan in Fort Lewis, if you're in Durango right now, you have to look at yourself and be 110% honest. You're not close. No. You're not close to even being second to last in the conference. That's how far you are looking up at, at the next pile of, you know, you know what in the conference standings, that's just really what, what frustrates, I'm sure it frustrates the fans and I, it frustrates me to a point because I, I would rather this conference be kind of like how the PAC 12 is this year in division one. If it was all teams that were liable to beat one another every given weekend, which was what, what the conference used to be back in the nineties, where it was always competitive and you had a lot of big names running around, that would be ideal for me. Even as a Western Colorado alum and a Western Colorado supporter, I'm biased towards Western Colorado until the day that I die. I would still love to see these other teams be really competitive. I would love to see a, a conversation of which four teams from the RMAC are going to be getting into the Division II playoffs, but that's just not the reality that we see at this point. We see really good teams at the top, and then you got teams like Fort Lewis, New Mexico Highlands, Adams State, constantly dragging around our anchor on, on Rocky Mountain Athletic Conference football. And I'm sure I'm going to piss a lot of people off, but if I piss you off, then here's what I'm going to tell you. You don't see this for the reality that it is. Yeah. And like you pointed out, it was like a very clear first, second, third place team, but then a very clear and blatant last place. And the most disturbing thing is the thing that you talked about, something that Fort Lewis used to be able to hang their head on, which is being a tough and rugged team with a really tough front seven. You know, they angle, they stunt, they're one gap penetrators at, you know, they like to just slant into a gap and penetrate and hope for the best. Maybe maybe they can get a tackle for loss when they slant out of a gap. Maybe they give them a big one. But they'll play that risk because they're a little tough and rugged. And they've gone from that to a team that basically gives up 250 rushing yards a game. So, like, their identity is done a complete 180. The thing they can hang their hat on is, like, probably the worst part of their entire team now because they can't stop the run to save their lives. And – yeah, once your identity is gone, you really have to regroup, sit back, and ask yourself, what, where are we going and what's next? Like, they've been more competitive this year, but still no losses or still no wins. Yeah, no, and, and no wins, no games within seven points. That's the real kicker. No game within a single possession. <clears throat> Even a blind squirrel can find a nut. If you can keep a game within seven points, you'll be able to find a way to win games. We were on some Western teams that probably had the right to go 0-11, but we ended up winning one, two games. Shout out Coach Case because your offense was only able oh, to win man. three games. Times. <laughs> it's been a rough day, Rev. I didn't tell you before, but school didn't start off on the best foot. I'm I'm coming in hot from wrestling practice. But, yeah, no, that's it's, – it's unfortunate to see. Now, let's look at the middle of the pack. These are teams that – at the beginning of the season, we were talking about if you could just make a statement, if you can win that one extra game that we've been waiting for you to win, you will put yourself in, in a really good spot for conference championship, for playoff contention. We have South Dakota Mines, Colorado Mesa, and Black Hills sitting at four, five, and six in the conference going into the last week. South Dakota Mines, Colorado Mesa, both been even four and four in the conference and five and five on the season. Black Hills, five and three in the conference and six and four on the season, but all three teams well out of contention for any kind of share of the conference championship since the RMAC doesn't have a championship game. It goes based off a record and head-to-head -head matchups. Those were three teams that at different points of the season, we said about all three of them, this could be the turning point. 
this could be where they put things together and actually prove to everybody that this isn't the fluke. This isn't the normal team that you normally see coming out of Rapid City, Spearfish, Grand Junction. But it, it ended up just being the same old story that we hear. I mean, Black Hills finished out of the, the top out of the three, which it's normally Colorado Mesa. But outside of that, these three teams are solidly mid is how I would describe them, especially since Black Hills and South Dakota Mines have come into the conference. Yeah, and I guess me personally, I'll just add Shattered State to the pack of those teams. Oh, right yeah. There, which, yeah, there's just extreme amounts of volatility amongst those teams. Like, you know, there are certain things in which they can identify with. South Dakota Mines has a quick fire passing game, of course, with Nolan and Johansson and Jalen Fry playing running back here and there. Though, I feel like amongst the RMAC, it was a bit of a down year when it came to running games, and a lot of teams are very pass-oriented, but – you have the quick fire passing games of Black Hill State and South Dakota Mines over there in South Dakota. You got a team in Colorado Mesa with young defensive players that really keyed on making turnovers in order to keep themselves in games and certain teams that they could hang their head on, but clearly not complete teams. So the volatility was always there within those teams, but it's definitely fun to see them occasionally maybe give a better team a little bit of something to think about. Black Hill State was competitive with Western for a little bit. But then every once in a while, you'll see a game where one of the lower quartile teams can make them sweat, whether it's, you know, uh, Fort Lewis coming up and giving Black Hill State something to think about. So, yeah, they were dangerous teams, but also teams with clear weaknesses that would make them extremely volatile. At this point, if uh, Black Hills wins, they tie their best record at the end of the season coming in since coming into the RMAC at seven and four. So if they win and get to that seven and four mark, that'll be huge for Black Hills. We'll talk about what matchup they have coming up. But I, I kind of agree with you. I put Shadron in the lower quartile, but I'll go back to this. Two seasons ago in Shadron, Nebraska, the Eagles had a 14-point lead over Angelo State, who went on to have two very deep playoff runs in, in the two seasons after that. Uh, they blew a 14-point lead in two quarters, didn't score a single single point in the second half and, and lost to the Rams in that game. So they could be very, very good and very competitive, but <clears throat> we've talked about it a few times. They just don't ever seem to put it together. Um, top of the conference, top three teams, the same as last season, uh, I believe in the same order as well. Colorado School of Mines is going to win another RMAC championship. They are going to be in the postseason they also now carry the number one ranking in the country since Ferris State ended up losing to Grand Valley. Western Colorado currently going to take second in the conference, but they're also in playoff contention, sitting at second in the region. CSU Pueblo out on the outside looking in, they would need a ton of help. I've been told that the coaching staff is having 45-minute long meetings talking about different scenarios as to how they would get into the playoffs. I feel like you could use that time game planning, but what do I know? Um, that is where they currently sit third in the conference, six and two in the RMAC, the two losses coming to the two teams ahead of them in Western Colorado and Colorado School of Mines. But that top level of the conference, we're seeing two teams in the RMAC in the playoffs for the first time since 2021, um, I believe. Actually, no, they had it last year, but this is the same two teams that are making it to the playoffs in 2021. Obviously, that was the unfortunate end to the Carney game against Western Colorado, where we had the false snap on the last play of the game that ended up costing the Mountaineers uh, Western or excuse me, Colorado school minds that season made it to the semifinals. Yeah. Didn't quite make it over the hump last season. Obviously they lose it in the finals. Could this be the season where we see the Colorado school minds or diggers hoist the national championship for the first time in program history, Rev? Um, 
I would like to think that with didn't Ferris State kind of have some slip ups here and there this year? So Grand Valley, so the team that Colorado School of Mines was able to hold on and beat beat Ferris State. So it's as much as you're like Ferris State is not a threat anymore. You have some other teams that have proven they can play really well on any given weekend. Same thing that I would say about Division One right now. If we were in a 16 or a 12 team playoff in Division One, I, I don't know who I would think. I was talking about it last night on Far End of the Bench. I think Louisville could sneak up on some teams if it was a 12 team playoff, especially on the road. Yeah. So I, I don't, I wouldn't say that's an easier path. But yes, Ferris State doesn't have the number one player in all of the country anymore that you're going to have to go up and try and stop. Yeah, well, you look at this Mice team and maybe outside of Michael Zeman not being there and them not being able to reciprocate everything in a run, it's still mostly the same team and they haven't slipped up on any of the teams that gave them or that gave them close losses the year before. And you've seen Grand Valley kind of take a step back. We've seen Ferris State kind of take a step back. Like I think their chances of winning a national championship with a all-time accomplished quarterback that they have right now is better than they've ever had, especially when you consider the landscape of other teams that may have dropped off just a little bit. Mine seem to have picked up exactly where they left off here, and I think right now they're poised to do something here. Uh, speaking on the Western Colorado side, so in 2021, that was the first time since the new millennium that the Mountaineers had been in the playoffs. Um, I don't know if you've been following them on their social media. They were practicing in the Mountaineer Bowl. Like, they had turf down. They were able to hold practices there. I don't know because I think they're going to be able, if they don't slip up this weekend, they should be in a good spot to host a playoff game. I don't know if we're going to get playoff football at Katie O'Reilly, which would be kind of cool in the soccer stadium because it's going to be the only time that it ever happens. Or we might be opening the Mountaineer Bowl. I don't know if they're – I can't – we'll look at the you schedule here in a second. Buzz? You've heard some buzz about that? Mm. I don't know. I'm in a couple of Facebook groups that it seems like the, the bowl might be ready for playoffs for postseason oh, man, if man. there happens to be a postseason got, game over. Yeah, that's all I need I saw they've been working on a turf over there too. Like, I mean, generally I'm still a person who I'd rather, you know, I prefer grass fields over turf fields, just especially when it comes to player safety. But we'll admit the grass that we used to have back in the day was very wonky and uneven. So if they can upgrade to something better, then yeah, I hope the bowl's open for the playoff game. That so would be a sick situation. That would be the most buzz coming out of that place since 1996. That's, My yeah, since as long as we've been alive, that would be the most buzz generated from Gunnison, Colorado. By the way, shout out Gunnison High School. I believe they're still moving on in the playoffs. They have a chance to make the three, the 2A state championship down in Pueblo if they win this weekend. They beat Meade last week, which they were giving up a whole bunch of size. I think they only have 50 kids on the roster, Rev. Yeah. I think Gunnison High School has 50 kids, and they're, the Cowboys are – a blue collar, former Western Colorado alum, Paul Vickers is their head coach. And uh, a guy that we played with, or I think a couple Probably guys Mulvin, now. Right? Yeah, Colvin uh, yeah. is there for the offensive line. And Joey Dill was there for a time. I don't know if he's still there, but I know he was there last season as a, as a linebacker coach. So we're starting to see this Western Colorado. I mean, people fall in love with Gunnison. I'm not going to lie. It was hard for me to leave when I did end up graduating, but I needed to oh, find yeah. a job. I, I'm I fully intend when I'm retired and don't have to worry about working anymore, I may settle in Gunnison or at least around that area. The college players are starting to stick around and it's helping the high school football program, which I don't know if you remember, but when we, when we were in college, they didn't have a varsity level team. 
They had 23 yeah, they had kids. Like they were JV just a JV team. team. Yeah. yeah. So it's awesome. I'm hoping if they make it to Pueblo, I'm definitely making out for that game. I have to see if, if they're in the state championship, I will be, I have one Gunnison high school shirt. I will be mm-hmm. repping it, whether it's cold or not, but that would be huge for uh, the city. And it's going to be huge. I think they are, like I said, if they don't slip up this weekend, which we're now transitioning into uh, the upcoming schedule for week 11, if they don't slip up this weekend, they should have a pretty good shot at hosting a playoff game. <clears throat> Speaking of the week 11 matchups, we uh, will talk about when they start and where they're taking place. And then we'll kind of give our quick thoughts. We'll start off with two really easy ones here. Colorado School Mines getting their get right game right before the playoffs, taking on Fort Lewis in Durango at noon. That'll be the first game kicked off on the RMAC network. Rev, my question, what do you believe is better for this? This is kind of a similar question to the NFL. Is it good to have your get right game the week before the playoffs? Or would you rather have a game where you know you have to have all of your technique, all of your fundamentals on point, and that's how you're going to win this game? Because right now, Colorado School of Mines could probably sleepwalk and beat Fort Lewis by 40. You're probably you're going to be able to play mistake-riddled football and still win. Would it be better if they were going up against a team that could challenge them and force them to be the perfect well-oiled machine that we've seen from them this season? Well, you definitely make a point with that ladder thing you just brought up. From the perspective of like a diehard fan, not that I'm a Mines fan, but I'm just saying from the perspective of a diehard fan who's in a position to either make it to a playoffs or to keep a certain seed, it definitely feels a lot better when you don't when you don't have those heartaches of playing a really tough competitive team right before the playoffs. When you could go into the schedule, look at it and say, Oh, Fort Lewis, we can sleepwalk our ways through this one. And of course, you don't want to take nobody lightly, you know, anything can happen in this game. But it definitely feels more relieving going into that final week of the season, which at the very least, these guys can still play football. Like I don't think they're gonna get rusty going up against a bad team if they at least go out there and get the pass popping a little bit, and then you can sub them out have your second stringers, third stringers come in at the third quarter, you know, make sure that they can keep the rust away, but you also, you don't want to overuse them before the playoffs. Here's the point that I was, I was going to try and make. So last year when Fort Lewis played Colorado school mines, they lost 80 to zero the year before when they played Colorado mines, they lost 76 to zero. In 2020, they didn't play. If you go back to the 2019 matchup against Colorado School of Mines, Durango, Fort Lewis gave up 42 points. So when I say you can sleepwalk and still probably win this thing by 40, you haven't scored less than 40 against this team in three years. If if this group does not break that 40-point threshold against Fort Lewis, unless it's the coaching staff playing all of the backups, making sure that nobody important gets hurt going into the playoffs, this would raise a lot of red flags. I think that's where the pressure comes in. If you're a Colorado School of Mines player slash fan slash coach, is that you know what you've done to this team the last three years, and Fort Lewis hasn't shown you anything that they're any different. So if you go out there and you win 28-0, we're going to be talking about what the hell happened to the Colorado School of Mines or Diggers. They're not ready for the playoffs. They have this wrong. They have this wrong. You have to almost win by 40 just to make sure that nobody mentions you. If this isn't a 40-point blowout, then we're we're going to be talking about Colorado School of Mines and the issues that they have going into the playoffs week one, which is kind of where I see the pressure more falling on Colorado School of Mines than Fort Lewis because when you're 0-40 in your last 40 matchups, you don't really have pressure to do much of anything, really. 
Yeah, at this point, only only pressuring factor is the fact that Colorado Mines is playing at Fort Lewis. But then again, I'm not expecting that environment to be very hostile at this point. It's probably a lot of people. Does anybody just, go? Yeah, you I'm might sorry. get a couple boosters. You might get a couple players, girlfriends in the crowd, in the stands. And at that point, that's all you're getting here. So there's a chance if mine travels well, they can outnumber Fort Lewis in the crowd. They could be a home field advantage for them. So, yeah. yeah, the, only, really, yeah. the only thing Fort Lewis is holding on to is that you have to go over Red Mountain Pass in November, and nobody enjoys doing that. Remember mm-hmm. when we used to have to make that drive out in a, in a bus? Yeah, that wasn't, wasn't mm-hmm. much fun. If you've driven Red Mountain Pass or if you're familiar with the mountain passes in Colorado, it's a double black diamond. If you're a skier or a snowboarder, it's a double black diamond, whether you're driving the easiest car to handle or if you're one of those poor bus drivers that were trying to come around those blind curves. You're like, uh, not all the wheels are on the road right now, but we're going to lean one way and hopefully we make it work because it's it's a it's a trek. Uh, next game up on the schedule, Colorado Mesa going to Las Vegas, New Mexico. Highlands will end the season in their home state. Uh, Mesa looking to finish above 500. Currently, they sit at five and five. Six and five would look pretty good for the Mavericks. I've seen them a couple times. We've talked about them a couple times this season. If their coaching staff remains the same, if they're willing to deal with what happened this season and they can continue to build upon their program, I think we can see the Mesa Mavericks more towards where we saw them in the mid 2010s right now they've been very dismal they've been very disappointing um but it is still new mexico highlands i think you may have the added difficulty of it being senior day and sometimes new mexico highlands likes to play really hard on their senior days um if i'm going to make a prediction i would say that colorado mesa is probably my team that i would predict to win the game what are you you thinking about when we see colorado mesa going up against new mexico highlands well, just really just seeing if they can get their passing game going because it's been a little erratic at times where they've mostly been able to hang their hats on defense and special teams. You've seen flashes of a passing game here. I believe Keenan Brown at receiver has just maybe been the go-to guy for the majority of the year. See if he can have a good game just to kind of put an exclamation point on the season here. And then on the defensive end of the ball, it's just continue with the interceptions because Jason Tome right now is tied in the RMAC for most interceptions with five and see if they can get after it, get some pressure, some strips, force some bad throws, get some interceptions like they've been able to do all season here. And, yeah, I think they're going to be able to do just that. The offense is going to have enough of a rhythm to keep Highlands out of it. However, yeah, that senior that senior game surge might – you know, might be good enough to get them a couple touchdowns here and there to make the score scoreboard appear to be lesser of a blowout. It's interesting as the opposing uh, team in those senior day situations, not to bring up bad memories, but I was actually broadcasting the game on the radio uh, during your senior day game, which was against New Mexico Highlands and Gunnison, and that one did not end the way that we would have all hoped. So not quite. It, it's something to bring up, and it's college football. That's the thing that we always have to remember. These are 18 to 24-year-old young men. They are going, they have Thanksgiving break coming up since the the teams that we're talking about so far are not making the playoffs. They have probably midterms slash finals that they have to worry about. Now you become just a normal college student and you have all of those added pressures. Who knows what team is going to come out and show up and and be ready to play. New Mexico Highlands might come out and play like this is their Super Bowl because they know this is the last time they're putting on the pads until uh, March in in spring ball. So it's, it's a little bit volatile, but 
those two games, both play both teams out of playoff contention. Same thing with our next matchup, also kicking off at noon on the RMAC Network. South Dakota Mines going out to Shadron. Um, my parents are actually going to be at the game live because my cousin, it will be his senior day. Um, so shout out Michael DeGamellis. He's been the center. He's been an offensive lineman for Shadron for the last four seasons, including the COVID year. Um, really proud of what he's been able to do. Big senior day game for him. So I'm I'm going to be 100% biased in, in my pick and, and what I want to happen in this game. And look, thinking about it, <clears throat> South Dakota Mines is on a – they're coming off of a loss. You're going to have to play defense. You're going to have to be able to slow down this passing game somewhat. And what better way to go out on your senior day as an offensive lineman where you have to rely on establishing a ground game protecting the quarterback, and your offense is going to have to score. South Dakota Mines does not have a low-scoring game ability. We've seen Shadron have some weeks where they struggle. This one should be wide open. It should be a shootout, and it, I would, I am hoping with all that I have that Shadron ends up pulling this one out um, at home against uh, Rapid City, the South Dakota Mines School, South Dakota School of Mines, um, Hard Rockers. I am hoping for a Shadron State when I don't, I wouldn't even classify it as an upset, but technically it would be an upset based on the standings no. that we just went through. So I'm hoping for Shadron. I, I'm rooting for the Eagles to pull out a big victory on on Senior Day against. Shout out, Mike, Mick. We love you. Uh, everybody's super proud of you, and we're excited. You're joining the teaching ranks. So, congrats. I'm hoping that you you have a lot of fun. What are you thinking about this game, Riff? Well, Shadron's best chances, like you said here, is just running the ball, limiting the number of possessions of the game, and capitalizing off of those drives. If you get long running running game drives going, capitalize, score what you can on those, limit the possession, run things down, and then use your pass rush to do your best to disrupt this South Dakota School of Mines offense. Because if Mines can get their offense going, I just don't think Shadron can score with these guys. So it really comes down to slowing the game. But – I don't know how confident I am in them being able to do enough of that. Yeah, if you've ever seen the Baltimore Ravens play on Sundays, if you watch the Tennessee Titans, what, what Rev's talking about, shortening the game, if you can establish the running game, especially at the college level now where they don't stop the clock for first downs and it basically runs until two minutes left in the game, you can limit the number of possessions an explosive offense gets, and that will put you in a much better situation when you look up and try and see the scoreboard at the end of the game. Um, big game coming up in Shadron. Next game that we're moving to, the Colorado Classic. This would have been awesome to play in at the end of the season. We always had it like week three or four of the season. It's the season finale. It's a trophy game, and Western has won it the last two seasons. It was punted back and forth during our time there. Uh, Adams used to be able to boast the biggest comeback in NCAA history against Western Colorado in the Colorado Classic. Uh, we lost the trophy after having won the trophy, and now it's being played in Alamosa in that stadium down in southern Colorado. The Grizzlies don't have anything to look forward to. So, again, I feel like the pressure's off, just like how we talked about the Colorado School of Mines matchup. Western Colorado, there's not pressure, but if you talk to a majority of the alumni base, especially the alumni base that's prior to our time, so like the 90s, 80s, early 2000s, especially because Adams was good at the time, this is the rivalry. This is the second oldest rivalry in the state of Colorado in collegiate football. The only other one being longer is Colorado Mines versus Western Colorado. These two teams, I, I hate the Green Weenies. I hate them so much 
I, I don't know if I told you this, Rev, but up until I was about 10, I thought this city that the school is located in was pronounced Asimola because my father refuses to pronounce awesome, it man. Alamosa. Because <laughs> uh, how? Why does the wind blow so hard, come so hard from the east? I don't know, Dad. Why? Because Alamosa blows. Anyone who has driven through Alamosa definitely understands that reference. Not a whole lot of sites here. Decent little football facility they have there, or de- decent little sporting facility they have there. But oh, outside the of that, there's sick. nothing. To, there's nothing to see. Like, <laughs> yeah, no, they they party. I I know that because I've been told. Uh, I've been told about a house party where the floor actually caved in on itself. And when we were playing in Alamosa, the student body was leaving by halftime so they could go start pre-gaming for whatever parties were coming up that night. Um, this is a big one. I, I kill a bear, man. It's it's all we heard the week of Adams. And, and the funny thing, too, this is a little behind the scenes if you're interested in that kind of thing, which I know a lot of people are because that's why Hard Knocks is continuing to be a show every year. For our, our winter conditioning – you remember what the punishment was for the guys that the coaching staff deemed were dogging it the day before? What they ended up having to wear for the next day of winter conditioning? Well, of course. I mean, it wasn't quite an Adam State green, but it was more like a very shamrocky lime green just, just was, to kind of rub it in. It, it was, was a really disgusting. crinkled up, crumpled up T-shirt. And, yeah, you, you stuck out of a crowd like a sore thumb wearing that nasty green shirt on. I'll say that. Yeah, you worked your ass off so that you never had to work out in the green shirt again because also they wouldn't you got it right after the guy before you wore it so the what we're talking about if you were dogging it during our winter conditioning drills which started at 5 30 in the morning and went all the way to 7 a.m so that we could shower get ready for our 8 a.m classes if we had them if you were dogging it during that session the next session you would show up and in your little cubby where you grab your workout clothes and your laundry loop it was right on top of everything. And my sister worked in the equipment room. She's like, ooh, I know who gets the green shirt today. And it was a green shirt because you know why? And for my, if you're my student tuning into this live show, cover your ears. You know why? Because fuck Adams. That's why. That's why it was a green shirt. <laughs> That's why. And you didn't wash that. It did not get the privilege of going into the Western Colorado dryers because it was that color green. And you would get it right after the guy before you. And if that kid was a sweater, that shirt was, you could put it on a hook and take it off of the hook and the shirt would not fall down in your hands. It would just be stiff by the end of winter conditioning. Well, well, yeah, now that we're heading into this game and hopefully, I don't know, that lime lime green that they're wearing, there's going to be a lot of green stains on that white jersey cover. Is it at at Western or at Adams? It's in Alamosa. It's it's at Adams. So it'll be on the turf. Yeah. It'll be on the turf. Um, Last time that I remember watching the Colorado Classic, it was in Alamosa, and it ended up being a pretty decent game. It was two years ago, right? Yeah, Yeah, it was was the game two years ago. It was the season that Western made it to the playoffs previously before this, and it was was a competitive game. That's the crazy thing about rivalries. What should happen in this game is Western should win by three touchdowns. But since there is the rivalry, and, and trust me, I know that Adam says the same same stuff. I, I We worked um, at the radio station with Christian and, and Marissa, and Marissa's dad is a, a Adam State alum. They called us the Red Weenies. We're not that dissimilar. We're not so different, you and I. We hate each other just the same. So Adams wants to win this game, and that's what I was talking about with Western slipping up. If you lose this rivalry game, your chance of a 
chances of hosting a playoff game go down significantly. You may be on the road for the first round, which changes drastically. I know that you didn't win the last time that you had a home playoff game, but this is where you use that home field advantage. This is where the 7,000 feet elevation and the fact you're in the middle of the mountain, so it's probably going to be snowing or cold or uncomfortable. This is where you, you sit. This is where you use that home field advantage. So if Western is able to hold off that immense rivalry pressure and everything like that, they will have a uh, playoff game being played in Gunnison, Colorado. I'm glad that it's Adam State. That's uh, I don't have any games this weekend. So, Rev, I know exactly what I'm doing in the middle of the day on Saturday. Nobody disturbed me. I'm I'm going to put lock all my doors, unplug my oh, phone, and I'm watching Western Colorado football. That's what I'm doing this Saturday. Please, 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 for the love of God, win the trophy. Keep it in Gunnison. That Colorado Classic trophy does not need to be disheveled anymore by Adam State touching it. I that. I have never been more viscerally upset than when we had to watch them grab that trophy on our home field when they beat us our my second year, which would have been your third year. That was one of the lowest points of my football career. Yeah, for it to happen three years in a row is just a slap in the face. Just the fact that I have the final three years of my my playing time there. But heading into this game, it's hard not to feel anything but optimistic because whereas before Adam State during our time there, they were, they were definitely highly powered, like, just when they came to the passing game. Like, they weren't necessarily great at mounting comebacks if things got a little too bad for them. You know, they had that front-runner mentality, but they could pass the ball and they could get things going on that side. Whereas, you look at the team now, they don't necessarily have anyone on the leaderboards when it comes to a running back who's contributed a lot or a quarterback. I don't even think they've had a the player of the week yet. Up. Yeah, they haven't had a player of the week. They've beaten up on some weaker competitions here and there, but it's hard to see exactly what, they ha- what they're going to hang their hat on as going to give Western any trouble at all here. Uh, yeah, and for this comment, thank you guys for tuning in. Please continue to comment in while we're, we're getting close to the playoff segment. Here. Let's tell the story because we might have new people listening, Rev. When we were getting ready, it was your redshirt freshman year. It was my true freshman season. We sat down in the offensive line re- meeting room on Mondays. This is when all we were back in the scouting board, scouting that. report. <laughs> and all of a sudden, Coton didn't giggle about much. Unless he was causing you pain, he very rarely giggled. He's giggling as he's passing out the packets. He goes, I want you to look at the depth chart. I go, we all go, okay, we're looking at the defensive line. No, 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 don't look at the defensive line. Look at middle linebacker. Tell me that person's name. I honestly don't remember. I'm not going to say his name because of the legal ramifications or whatever. I don't know about the statute of limitations on attempted manslaughter with a brick, but their middle linebacker was a kid who initially when he was recruited out of high school, which was six years before this, he was 27 at the time we were getting ready to play him. He had been arrested and been in prison for attempted manslaughter with a brick. And our coach was coach on was like, you guys better be ready to bring it. This guy's been in the yard. He's been doing this. He's going to come and punk. We beat the crap out of him that year. I think that was the year that we had, we did end up winning the trophy back finally. Right. Um, it was just the wildest. I was like, oh, so this is college football. I'm getting ready to play a convicted felon who just got out of doing a, a dime in whatever penitentiary. I was like, oh, shit. Uh, I'm going to get killed, aren't I? I- I'm dead. 
Yeah, man. Welcome to D two football. I mean, ultimately, he didn't have any. He didn't have any outbursts. He didn't try to pull any Bill Romanowski no, level stunts after the play or nothing. But yeah, it was definitely a story to tell there. Just, I think he was actually like gonna be teammates with like our tight end coach at the time, and then mm-hmm. something happened there. Yeah. Yes, yes, our tight ends coach was a GA who was like twenty seven. He's like, yeah, no, we were a part of the same freshman class. He's like, what? <laughs> oh shit. Um. Okay. Uh. That's. Uh, we're excited for the Colorado classic. It's Western. Basically it's an RMAC pod, podcast, but we're two Western Colorado alums. So I love the Colorado classic last game of the weekend. Also kicking off at 1 PM uh, senior day for the CSU Pueblo Thunderwolves. Roxy shout out again, doing great things out there for CSU Pueblo. They're hosting the Black Hill yours. state yellow jackets. Whoever wins this game, will have bragging rights for an entire season and we'll have a, whoever wins this game. Here's, here's the real thing that you're playing for will be ranked higher in the preseason rankings when we're getting ready to start season four of the show. That's what these two teams are playing for right now. Colorado State University Pueblo and Black Hills State are playing for who's going to be ranked higher in the preseason rankings next season. Yeah, they're playing for that here. And in case we're making picks here, I don't know if I want to shake things up. Like I, We gave Pueblo a lot of praises here, but that Black Hills State is still very – that team is still very frisky. And – Looking at things here, I'm trying to see who's playing at home here just to see. See if your Pueblo's hosting. It's at Pueblo, but I definitely wouldn't be surprised here to see a Black Hill State team you know, led by Nolan Susel, TJ DeCora, receiver, and Hassan Williams. The guys they've had there, like they got a high-powered offense, a high-powered passing game that I really wouldn't be surprised if they somehow pulled off a win against Pueblo here and kind of put them both in that 7-4 and four range here, so. That might be the game of the week, you know, one that you definitely one that definitely would be worth a watch. Two if very I wasn't watching the Colorado Classic, I would be yeah. watching this game. Um, because my sister is affiliated with the program. And I said too, if Black Hill State wins this weekend, they tie their best record since entering the RMAC. For as much of kind of a joke and a punchline as you've been, you've been down towards the bottom of the conference, you've had two decent seasons where you finished the year seven and four and beat some teams that nobody expected you to beat. I would put CSU Pueblo as a team that nobody really expects Black Hills State to beat. If you win this game on the road, you are setting yourself up for next season. That's what you have to worry about. Unfortunately, I know CSU Pueblo's coaching staff wants to have another meeting and discuss 18 different possibilities of of 45 college football playoff games being played at the Division II level on how you're going to make the playoffs. It's a pipe dream. Forget about it. Let's focus on winter, the the weights program. Let's get these guys prepared to be. I told my wrestlers today at wrestling practice, I want to beat you down at practice so that when you are playing, when you are wrestling, you don't have to worry about whether you're tired or not. You don't have to worry about whether you're strong enough or not. There's been a few times in my life and after the first winter workout session, because I didn't get my redshirt season since I was traveling, when you are dedicated going to the weight room, and and working to get better and work towards next season that was the strongest most dedicated athlete that i've ever been in my life so you are playing for who's going to have the better off season this weekend in in pueblo if csu pueblo wins coach v hill those guys that have been that have come in on the staff you prove that hey it was bad this year we played a lot of tough out of conference competition and the only teams we lost to are number one and two and playing in the playoffs right now if black hill state wins we beat CSU Pueblo finally. We did it on the road, and we tied our best record in the conference. Let's get ready to go for next season. 
those are the two storylines that you're trying to solidify in this game. And yeah, they're both teams really here are playing, like you said, for that momentum just to head into the head into the offseason. I really I really wouldn't get too caught up in a game of probabilities and uh, what has to shake up here and there when you, if you're CSU Pueblo. Uh, yeah, of course, you're optimistic. You want to make something. But ultimately, this is just a game based off of, well, this is just a game that's going to base who's going to have the extra momentum heading into those winter weight sessions because it's definitely a lot more you know, you'll definitely the weight room's gonna feel a lot more energetic when you're going into it off of a very big statement making win against another proven formidable team in the RMAC here. So it's really playing for that momentum to head into the winter. I agree with you. Let's uh recap the schedule real quick. Three games taking place, kicking off at noon. Colorado Mines heading to Durango to take on Fort Lewis. Colorado Mesa will be in Las Vegas, New Mexico, taking on New Mexico Highlands. South Dakota Mines will be traveling to Shadron for Shadron Senior Day. Uh, those all kick off at noon on the RMAC Network. Western Colorado and Adams in, I think it's the 204th or 205th Colorado Classic. Um, they will be playing at 1 o'clock. And Black Hill State will be taking on CSU Pueblo also at 1 o'clock. That game taking place in Pueblo. So we have a lot of action this week coming for the RMAC. We're, we're kind of transitioning now away from just RMAC-specific talk. And we're going to look at the nation as a whole. So... Division two football, uh, I believe, and I should be better about this. I should have done more research, but like I said, I had I had a day at work. Either the way, way we got yeah. Either way, to look at the whole national settings of the playoffs. We got time for that, but yeah, yeah. No, it just looking at the region. So Division two football is split into four super regions. We have Super Region one, two, three, and four. Um, super Region four is where the RMAC, as well as the Lone Star Conference schools, currently reside. So if we look at just the Super Region 4 rankings, Colorado School of Mines, since they're number one in the country, no surprise, they're number one in Super Region 4, 10-0 on the season going into the last week of the regular season, 9-0 um, in the region. So the out-of-conference games that they played, only one was not counted. So it was the, the Grand Valley game that wasn't counted in the region. When you, This is what you have to do as a Division II football coach. You have to not only schedule tough out-of-conference games and make sure your team is ready to win, if you can schedule an out-of-conference game that's also an in-region game, that's like an A++. Because now you have a win over Angelo State, who's a team in your region that's ranked. The, the Division II NCAA website ranks out to the top 10. They beat Angelo State, and Angelo State currently sits at number eight in Super Region 4. So that win for Colorado Mines was huge. Western Colorado, also 9-1 and one in their region. They beat the two teams from Texas in the Lone Star Conference that they were playing this year in West Texas and Texas A&M Kingsville. Kingsville coming in at number 10 in Super Region 4. They also, only loss that they suffered was Colorado School of Mines. So you have, like I said, number one and two in Super Region 4, and I believe the top four in each region that make the playoffs or the top two in each region that make the playoffs get a home playoff game. I would like to see Western Colorado win a playoff game. And if it's at home, that chance of probability goes way, way, way up. So please, 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 for the love of God, don't do anything dumb. Because as I'm looking here, the team behind Western Colorado is Central Washington, who's currently undefeated. So if Central Washington remains undefeated and they win this weekend, and Western Colorado slips up and loses to the Colorado Classic Trophy back to Alamosa, you are now looking at three instead of two. 
you have very little chance. I don't think you're going to get one because even if, um, well, I mean, if Western Colorado or excuse me, Colorado school minds loses, then your record just goes to the same. So you have no shot at one, but you could lose the second seed. And that would be huge if you lost the second seed, because if you win the first round, Colorado school minds win the first round, you're on a collision course to a team that you've already played before. You don't have to travel across the country. If you're an RMAC school, I would almost say that you want the RMAC schools to, to continue on so you don't have to deal with this extra hurdle that is the travel of the NCAA playoffs. You get to fly. The NCAA will pay for your chartered flight. For Gunnison, that means you have to drive three and a half hours to the nearest Ooh. airport. So yeah. as much as it you, you'd say the flying is nice, it's still a huge difference playing in Gunnison as compared to playing, say, so if they lose – and become the three seed, they probably have to go at least to the Midwest, which is the longest travel that any of these kids on Western Colorado has had. You yeah. don't want to do that. Yeah, like at this point, avoid it if you can. When it comes to Gus in Colorado, that's one of the unique home field advantages, not necessarily from a crowd standpoint because, yeah, they're playing at Kitty already field so it's going to be hard to generate much of a crowd but when you just consider the elevational aspect of it all and just having having opponents travel through that rough area going through monarch patches to get over here and it's definitely not the friendliest environment to come to and it really just comes down to them treating adam state like the team that they've been for the past couple of years get on them early build an early lead here and give Adam State a reason to doubt themselves early. And as long as they don't struggle through this game, they should have no issues keeping that number two spot, making sure that the road goes through them. Obviously, eventually they want that Colorado Mines rematch. That's the thing, you know, talking to all the other alumni, it really just came down to, hey, they got us this time. But the rematch, you know, just make sure you get, Make sure you get that rematch, but it gets a lot easier if you take care of business, treat Adam State like Adam State, and hold on to that number two spot because who knows, if it's a close game that Western barely squeaks by, who knows if the committee might just go with Central Washington and knock Western down even if they win. So they got to win convincingly. There's a lot of pressure. So even in a spot where you'd, you'd imagine that there's a ton of pressure already, there is a, still a lot of pressure. The NCAA committee will have – a selection show um by the time we are back recording this podcast we will know what the bracket is so we will break down the bracket we'll break down the week 11 matchups i feel like that was a good solid episode to come back on again i apologize mm -hmm. it was basically my schedule that was was ruining the last few weeks that we were recording we're not going to miss any more as the rmac continues to go through uh the final week of the regular season and into their playoff run Really appreciate everybody joining in, whether you're joining in live or if you're catching the replay on YouTube, subscribe, like, leave a comment, all that great stuff. And if you're listening on audio platforms, follow the show, because if you follow the far end of the bench, you get far end of the bench episodes on Thursday. You get these shows during the RMAC football season on Fridays. And then you also get Sunday scaries, which this week I have a pretty decent topic. Um, we're going to be talking about mental health in the classroom because I actually that's the issue that I had at school today. We're, we're dealing with that. So Sunday Scaries will be coming out this weekend. I'm hoping to get a guest on one of my former uh, co-workers. We'll see if that works out. If not, it'll just be me. Rev, this was a solid comeback episode. I, I'm glad we were got to get another one in. And uh, what do you got coming out for the people? I know you're let's talk about this. We haven't mentioned it. We've gone an hour so far without mentioning it. The AFC North is the best division in, in professional football. Oh, yeah. Without a doubt here, I mean, when you look at it, 
Everyone's holding on to a playoff spot. Everyone is above 500. The Bengals are on a five-game winning streak, and we're fourth in the division. Yeah. And I haven't necessarily checked all the metrics, but if you look at all four of these teams' defense, you can make an argument for each defense in the AFC North being a top-10 defense in the NFL. So definitely it's it's a shark tank of a division here. You're really, you're have to, you really have to rely on each team doing extremely well outside of the conference to hold on to those spots. But, yeah, it's definitely a testament to – it just shows just how rugged and how tough it is just to be a member of this division. Yeah, we, we don't play the Steelers yet for a few more weeks. Um, I'm glad that the Bengals are NFC West champions because we've beaten all the NFC West teams that we played, the 49ers, the Seahawks, the Rams, and the Cardinals. Um, it's wild to think that the Bengals are on a five-game winning streak and they're currently the seventh seed in the <laughs> AFC playoffs. The AFC is just an absolute oh, – yeah. it's a gauntlet right now because the Chiefs are still 6-2. and two. The Bills, even though the Bengals just beat them on Sunday Night Football, they're liable. I think they're going to dominate the, the Broncos this week on Monday night. Uh, what do you got? You got any articles or any content dropping for, for the people on Belly Up or, or what have you been up to? Let's leave the people off on, on where they can find you and what you've been up to so far. Well, last thing I posted was just kind of just a review of just a review of what I did previously about like offensive concerns or offensive questions to answer, just kind of following up to see whether or not anything has changed. Well, so far into this year, it kind of felt like that Kenny Pickett uh, the preseason that he had hasn't quite lived up to the hype, though he still is a fourth quarter voodoo artist who just kind of just comes alive in the fourth quarter. That's... Pisses off Matt Canada when he checks out of a run to a go route to, to George Pickens. Pisses mm. off him. Damn it, I didn't call that play. Why won't he run the play that's called? So yeah, it was a bit of a follow up because before the season, I wrote about the Steelers' off seasons and just or no, not the offseason, but the Steelers' offense and what I and question I wanted to be answered, and really just a bit of a follow up, in which has been a very frustrating season to watch, especially when you think about the offensive side of the ball. But no matter how frustrating it is, no matter how I feel about ninety five percent of the game, the Steelers are always so good at winning the big critical situations of a football game so that even when they're in a slump, they keep things close enough. They win big situations. They win turnover battles. They win special teams battles. And then all of a sudden in the game where you feel like you're going to lose, they pull it off somehow at the end. Yeah. And uh, we bring Rev on to the far end of the bench quite a bit for his MMA recaps. I I feel like this is a good topic to end the show on. Did you watch Fury versus Ngannou? Oh yeah, without a doubt there. I knew you Whether would have. Not, I yeah. knew you would have because it's it's one of well now it's the last African UFC champion. So I knew that you had that tie into it. And you're a combat sports fan. So I assumed you'd be watching. Did did it did you expect anything like that coming out of Ngano, or did you totally expect that Fury was gonna outclass him and the only chance Ngano had was one big overhand right possibly landing? Yeah. So Definitely wasn't expecting that level of success that Nganu had. And on one hand, I'm really like, you you can't be anything but just proud to see how Francis Nganu showed himself. And especially when it came to everything that he was battling inside and outside of the ring, you got UFC, the UFC brass trying to, trying to smear his name, trying to smear his reputation, saying that he was looking for easy fights, saying that he fumbled a bag for him to kind of get the last laugh on a UFC in which you really have to look back and see like, 
The UFC could have profited off of this if they're willing to play and negotiate with Francis. And now you're sitting out on the sidelines trying to smear his reputation while he's doing bigger things than he ever has. But then on the other side, you have to wonder how seriously was Tyson Fury taking it, in which you could argue he still won it just off of rounds, but Engano definitely won the story. And Fury, well, he's, his weight has fluctuated up and down, and he's never had a bodybuilder physique. He definitely looked a little loose like, around the midsection in that Higano fight. Yeah, I don't think he was expecting the type of fight that he got, and I feel like everybody who gets in either the octagon or now the ring with Francis Ngannou is like, holy shit, he's big. He's and he hits hard. <laughs> he's, I can't, because when you fight Deontay Wilder, that's a, a similar level of punching power that you have with Deontay Wilder and Francis Ngannou, but Wilder is like 220. You can push him around. Tyson Fury could hang on Deontay Wilder and tire him out. You hang on Francis Ngannou, he's just going to punch you more. (laughs) That's that's what ended up happening, and he got clipped and and knocked down. The only significant strike that Fury landed was an illegal elbow. That, and it didn't even move Francis. He just ate it. (laughs) Oh, uh, I'm used to that. Good luck. But also, everybody knew. This thing went to the judges' scorecards. Francis was not winning. They can't ruin this Usyk yeah, Fury Usyk, rematch yeah. that they have coming up or or the fight that they have coming up because Usyk probably beats Nganu. Usyk Usyk has the he's beaten Anthony Joshua twice. Usyk may be the best heavyweight boxer currently at the moment. Uh, we'll see how he looks against Tyson Fury for for this fight, but <laughs> Usyk would have dismantled Francis Ngannou, especially knowing that Francis can't be taken lightly in the boxing ring he would have probably figured out a way to solve that puzzle. Yeah, it kind of feels like Fury is more of a mixed bag when it comes to whether or not how seriously is he taking the fight? Is he going through mental struggles? You know, is he going to show up to the fight camp at 300 pounds or 260 pounds? You kind of have to – it kind of varies depending on – Fury's mindset. He can be a little up and down. He can say some weird things in the headlines, you know, talking about how he isn't taking Usyk seriously and this and that. But you know, Usyk's been on the radar. But yeah, I'm, 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 I'm excited at the very least of the fight still going to happen. It may get delayed, but ultimately that's on Fury. You were trying to duck Usyk for as long as you did. Thought you were just gonna get an easy payday against Ngannou. No, you didn't. So no, now yeah, you're yeah. medically disqualified from competing for probably another six months. Right. No, it's uh it's interesting. We'll have you back on for more of the combat uh sports stuff. We'll be back on for top of the mountain. Check out Sunday Scaries, it'll be live this Sunday, uh Sunday morning early, and then far end of the bench comes back next week. So great episode of the top of the mountain. Hope everybody enjoyed. Enjoy the weekend, last regular season weekend of RMAC football, and then we're on to the playoffs coming up. But this has been top of the mountain. For week 11 of the RMAC football, for myself, Jimmy Pilato, my co-host, Rev Coca, thank you guys for tuning in. We will catch you guys next time.